Yeah, still watching uh, Tropical Storm Fiona as it moves in towards uh, Nova Scotia tonight. We spent the last hour just doing the tour. We were in Cape Breton. We were in Halifax. We were in uh, Summerside, PEI. Everyone batting down the hatches. They're ready. Uh, they're, they're nervous about what may lay ahead. It got me thinking about what was the most, what's the biggest storm you've lived through? Uh, I guess I, I've been through a few. I've, I've gone to work in storms, uh, typhoons in the Philippines and so on. But the one that always stands out to me is the ice storm in 1998 when I was living in Montreal. That was certainly the most, it didn't have the same sort of devastating impact that a, that a huge uh, tropical storm would have or a typhoon or something along those lines. But it was certainly just the long uh, impact that it had on Quebec over many, many weeks was was just devastating. Uh, let me know, 877-399-9898 is the text line, 877-399-9898. Uh, the most devastating storm that you've been through, or maybe just some thoughts for the folks of Atlantic Canada tonight as they brace for Fiona. If you get a chance, I highly recommend you catch a global news one-hour special called Landlocked. It's aired, it aired this evening. Uh, Canada's energy crisis, Canada's global news reporters set out to find out how Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sparked a global energy crisis and a bright spotlight on our energy future, Canada's that is, and answer, they try to answer this question. Can our country be a solution to Europe's energy woes? And how will this impact our commitment to fighting climate change and our ability to play a big role on the international stage? At the root of the issue, of course, is the ongoing struggles between those who believe Canadian and federal and provincial governments should do all they can to make the most of Canada's vast energy resources and those who think we should either leave it all on the ground or go slow, that we need to uh, help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And part of that is finding ways other than extraction of fossil fuels. It just led, of course, to a logjam. Uh, it's tough to get things done in this country. We've been talking about that a lot since the invasion of Ukraine. We cannot get LNG to Europe the way we might want to. Uh, we just can't. We don't have the infrastructure there. But is it permanent or could something be done about it? Uh, joining me now is Werner Atwaller. He's a professor of economics at the Satter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. Thank you so much. Hello, Ben. Uh, thank you for having me on your program. The question of um, energy security has obviously come up a lot since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It had come up before that because there were you know, not infrequent problems with energy supply uh, from Russia in Western Europe. Uh, you've spent some time in Germany in the last several months. What is the what is the situation there and just how much is it being talked about in Europe right now? Yes, of course, it's a, a very big topic. Uh, uh, the energy crisis uh, is felt by everybody who has to pay higher uh, energy costs, uh, whether it's for natural gas, but also for electricity, because electricity depends on natural gas. So the energy crisis is on everybody's mind. So obviously the demand is there as because the what we're seeing, I gather, is a real acceleration in the in countries such as Germany to try to wean themselves off this dependence, this heavy dependence on Russian energy. Yes, exactly. Uh, the the sanctions against Russia are uh, increasingly taking effect. And of course, Russia has uh, switched off the gas supply uh, to Europe. Uh, and uh, so everybody is scrambling to find alternative suppliers. Uh, the Chancellor of Germany, for example, has been visiting Canada, but it's also been visiting uh, uh, Qatar and other places to secure uh, deals for supplying natural gas uh, to Germany. Uh, and the country is, in fact, building floating LNG uh, import platforms uh, to uh, to meet that uh, demand that they will have uh, over the winter and in the years to come. And we, uh, now, obviously, that sparked a real debate in Canada because for a while it felt like the debate over just how much energy we should be developing was kind of dying down a bit uh, in the shadow of many of our climate commitments. That debate has been resurrected. How do you see 
the resurrection of the debate overall. I mean, we were obviously trying to balance these two desires, which is A, to be a good source of energy security for Europe and other places, but also to meet our climate targets. Have you seen that conversation change in the last six months? Yes, a little bit. Uh, of course, there is a, a bit of a mixing up of the short-term and the long-term issues. In the short-term, Europe has uh, excess demand for unnatural gas, and they can only get it from sources that can supply it today and not in two or three or five years from now. Uh, currently in Canada, we have only one major LNG uh, terminal under development and a smaller one as well, but uh, that won't be ready for quite some number of years. And uh, that is sort of too, too little, too late. Uh, what instead uh, Canada can do and is doing is supply natural gas to the United States. And the U.S. actually has LNG export platforms that can deliver and do deliver uh, natural gas to Europe. So in that sense, uh, we are helping indirectly, even not so uh, we are helping directly because we don't have the LNG export capacity. Certainly in the short term, we know that there's been a long uh, and, and sort of storied past in trying to build this infrastructure. Is it now the time, looking into the future, is it now time for Canada to start to use this energy that we have in a different way than we have of late? Do we need to start building this infrastructure to be part of a global energy security solution? Yes, I think we do. And uh, we have to be mindful of also our climate uh, action targets. That means uh, if we develop uh, fossil fuel resources, we have to do so responsibly and with a lesser and lesser footprint. And that can be done uh, in particular uh, when it comes to uh, natural gas and for to, for oil, we can look towards uh, carbon capture and sequestration as one way to reduce the footprint. But we also need to look at the longer term future. And here we actually can find solutions uh, in uh, hydrogen, where we can take uh, natural gas, separate the carbon from it as carbon black, which is by itself a, a valuable byproduct, and then export the hydrogen. So there is a clean future for natural gas. Uh, of course, um, while uh, we are going through the transition uh, also towards electric mobility, we still need fossil fuels uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, we want to have a stable and reliable supply, not only for Canada, but also for our partners in Europe and, of course, the United States. Do you think the political will is there? Because often, you know, I've lived all over the country. When you have this conversation in different provinces, you you hear very different things about how exactly this should proceed. Uh, clearly, in provinces such as Quebec and BC, too, despite the fact they're building an LNG pi- or natural gas pipeline to produce LNG, um, there is sort of a, a greater opposition to having these to be to transport energy across your territory. Uh, there is a real opposition to it. Do you think we could come together both federally and provincially on this issue and try and find some path forward whereby we can use the exploit the energy that we have, meet our climate targets and get everyone on board? Yes, that will be a formidable challenge simply because we have uh, a federally uh, organized country. That means the individual provinces have their rights under the constitution. Uh, We we have a form of uh, cooperative federalism where the the provinces need to come together and pull on one string. And that has proven very hard. uh, And I I don't expect that to change. Uh, There will be uh, different interests uh, and different priorities, and that will make it very difficult to build infrastructure that spans multiple provinces. 
it's already difficult enough to even spend one province when it comes to that, uh, getting, um, uh, for example, oil and gas from Alberta to uh, the um, West Coast. Uh, and uh, we, we still have to also um, address um, significant concerns about indigenous rights in Canada. So all coming together uh, is going to be very hard because uh, there are competing interests. Uh, and that means uh, we have to kind of focus on what is doable and, and not uh, focus on what is um, a very remote possibility. And uh, when it comes to that, uh, there is uh, uh, clearly some potential for getting um, uh, fossil fuels uh, to the West Coast. Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult to get them all the way from places like Alberta to the East Coast. I, I don't really think this is uh, realistic. Yeah, I was going to say, what is doable, do you think, given all the complexities? Uh, we know that, uh, let's be honest, uh, successive governments have not been able to build any of this infrastructure, really, not much of it. Um, what would be doable? What does a solution look like, do you think, that would both appeal to all the provinces, get signed off on by the federal government, help us meet our climate targets, and allow Canada to play more of a role in global energy security? Yeah, I think there's no magic bullet when it comes to uh, conventional fossil fuels, uh, simply because uh, there are very strong interests and uh, uh, important agendas as far as uh, mitigating our impact on the climate. And that means we need to find ways to reduce our carbon footprint. And so what I do see as a potential is looking at the next generation of energy, and that includes things like hydrogen, where we can find clean sources. Uh, there is green hydrogen uh, from renewable energy, and there's also turquoise hydrogen that's basically uh, using natural gas, but in a clean and responsible way. Uh, and if you actually can focus on not missing the boat for this next generation, I think we can find a consensus uh, to, to build these new technologies that uh, will secure our place in future markets, even though we are a latecomer, for example, to LNG. Uh, but um, the, the potential is there. Uh, Canada has vast resources as an energy producer, and uh, we have to find ways to, to utilize that uh, in a way that is compatible with our, our climate objectives. Vernat Weiler is with us this half hour. He's a professor of economics at the Souter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. We're talking about what Canada's role could be. How does Canada balance both its needs, uh, its climate targets, and its uh, and now uh, a clear need for it to be part of an energy security solution globally, especially uh, as we like to say with like-minded nations, uh, countries, democracies, for instance. Um, Werner, often this conversation tends to boil down into a fight between, you know, we have the oil, it should be going to market, it's good, anyone who opposes it is bad, uh, climate targets be, you know, be damned, and those who say, well, there's no way we should leave it all on the ground, and that's that. I mean, that's often the extreme of the argument, but that's sort of where a lot of the, the argument tends to seem to happen. I think a lot of people are in the middle there. Um, but do you think we can reset this conversation and communicate it to each other in a way, in a federation, that will work? I hope so. And to do so, we need to find what is a common ground. Uh, there are uh, some things that uh, that we, we can take for, for granted now, which is that Canada has a lot of resources energy-wise, and that includes both the potential for generating clean electricity, but also uh, to, uh, we can utilize uh, some of our fossil fuels in a clean and responsible manner. But to do so, uh, we, we need to focus on both targets at the same time, which is energy security on one hand and our climate objectives on the other hand. And, and that is doable if we look uh, to towards the future uh, and, and look at technologies that allow us to get there so that we can have our cake and eat it too. Are you hearing that debate so far? I mean, have we moved far enough down that path, do you think, so far in Canada that we're having those sorts of conversations already about let's bury, you know, let's bury the, the hostilities of the past and let's try and find something in the future that we can agree on? 
Yeah, I think we need to start articulating what that vision actually looks like, where we're going to see Canada in 10 or 20 years from now. And if you're only focusing on the battles of today and whether we're not going to have one pipeline or or, or not, and where, um, uh, that's not really very helpful uh, because um, we, we do see uh, a lot of opposition to the status quo. Uh, that is, uh, uh, some provinces uh, don't like to have these uh, pipelines running through their territory, uh, whereas other provinces that have a lot of uh, uh, fossil fuel resources would like to get them uh, uh, to um, coastal waters. Uh, so where there's a sweet spot for a new dialogue is, is to look at a decarbonized uh, version of these fuels. And that is indeed foreseeable because uh, we can take natural gas, for example, uh, and separate the carbon from the hydrogen. And the, the hydrogen is a clean fuel that will be an increasing demand in the world, uh, while the carbon black uh, is a valuable resource uh, to make graphene and graphite. So we, we can move forward. Um, and um, for the fossil fuel industries that, uh, that still are in place and will remain in place for the for the foreseeable future, for the simple reason that there is a significant demand. Uh, we, we cannot wean ourselves off fossil fuels from today to tomorrow. That will take uh, decades. So to do that responsibly then means uh, we need to look at carbon capture and storage as far as the production is concerned, to have um, a product that is uh, not uh, dirtier than uh, from other locations in the world, and then uh, look at uh, ways of moving away from fossil fuels entirely to electrifying mobility and electrifying a lot of other uh, industries. So if I hear you clearly, what Canada can become in 20 years is a clean energy superpower. We will not become an energy superpower overnight. Is that uh, that's about right? Yes, I think we can say we are an energy power and will always remain an energy power simply because we're a big country and we should utilize that resource the best we can and in the most responsible form we can. And that means we have to look at uh, the state of the art technologies that allow us to get there. That will not be always cheap. And that is maybe one of the, the hurdles that we have to address. Uh, that is, uh, for example, carbon capture and storage. Well, this is not a free lunch. Uh, we'll have to build the infrastructure to allow us to do that. The same goes for uh, turquoise hydrogen or for building uh, electrolyzers to produce green hydrogen. All of this infrastructure um, is an investment into the future, uh, but it will be part of our energy future. And Canada will play a big role in that. Because I think what we're seeing around the world too, and this is this is not a reflection necessarily of Canada itself, but we're seeing a withdrawal of investment in what would be considered to be fossil fuels to to great a great extent. Uh, you know, you see it in pension funds and so forth, and we're, Canada is going to have to offer them something else, I would think, or to get people to invest, we're going to have to look to the future, I would think. I think so. Uh, what we do see is um, that uh, there is no new appetite for expanding fossil fuel projects of the conventional type. However, um, we do see increased interest in a new uh, sources of renewable and clean energy. And, and that is where a lot of the investment is going. For example, in the electricity sector, every second dollar that's being spent is spent on uh, renewable energy sources, or even more so in some jurisdictions. So there's clearly uh, a new trend forming towards clean energy sources. And and uh, converting the remaining fossil fuel sources uh, and put them on a cleaner footing. And we can do both. Um, we need to accelerate uh, the development of renewable energy sources and electrifying everything that we can electrify. But at the same time, we also need to look at uh, there will always remain a certain elements in our industries and in our society where we still need fossil fuels for the foreseeable future. And we need to make this industry as clean as we can. Vera Atfeiler, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome.